0: Chapter 19, beginning of verse 16. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away, and he bearing his cross went out to the place called the place of the Sco- of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priests and of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write King of the Jews, but he said I am the King of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. In the passage before us, we see that John begins by just writing, then he delivered him to them to be crucified. We read something like that, and as Christians who have been Christians for a long time, or of those who have grown up, in the church, or those that have grown up knowing Christianity, we we can talk about crucifixion like it's just, and he was crucified. Without stopping and taking in the weight of what that means. He was crucified. He was taken God of this universe who became man and beaten horribly, carried across weighing well over 100 pounds through the streets of Jerusalem up to this place that is called the place of a skull, or in the Latin, we get the word Calvary. Gogotha. why it is that they call it that there's much debate as to why it is that they call it the place of the skull if if you go to the the place where they refer to it as the place of the skull or Calvary today it, it does without a doubt resemble a skull but there's numerous other reasons of why it may have been called that and I don't know that we can say it with absolute certainty but they took him there, and they nailed him to the cross. His hands, his feet, with huge nails. One of the worst forms of death that anybody could ever face. And there he was upon the cross. It says, where they crucified him, and two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. This is what John notes as he's thinking upon Christ in the crucifixion, writing this to people who would have been well aware of the circumstances of the crucifixion, well aware of what occurred, so he doesn't go into incredible detail. And you have the detail of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But he takes a moment just to say, they crucified him and two others with him. One on either side, and Jesus in the center. We can go to the other gospel accounts and to be able, and, and look and see who are these other two that are with him. Matthew tells us that there was two robbers who were crucified with him, one on the right and another on the left. Two robbers, two thieves. More than likely, they did much more than... Just stealing things, because in this particular time, in this society, you weren't typically crucified for being a robber, but probably more of an insurrectionist, one that was going against the government, one that had done horrendous things. These would be thieves that would have been hated by the people, and they are being brought to be crucified. Matthew tells us that, that as they're there, there's those that are passing by, and they're blaspheming Jesus, wagging their heads. They're saying things like... You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. And so, over and over again, the the chief priests, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, those who are there are mocking him and saying things like, You say that you're going to destroy the temple and build it in three days? You can't even save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross laughing himself he cannot save if he's the king of israel let him now come down from the cross and we'll we will believe in him he trusted in god let him deliver him now if if he will have him for he said i am the son of god and so there's just mocking and mocking you call yourself the son of god come down from the cross we'll believe you if you come down from the cross come down from the cross. Mocking mocking ridiculing him but verse 44 of Matthew 27 says something interesting about these thieves it says even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing these guys that are on his right and this guy that is on his left both of them the same thing you saved others save yourself You can't even get down from the cross. And they're mocking him. They're ridiculing him. I- imagine this. You're, you too have been nailed to a cross. Your hands, your feet. You're about ready to die. You also are pushing yourself up on that stake in your feet just to... Fill your lungs with something so that you can say something just like Jesus was doing. And what are these guys doing? They're building up the energy. They're getting the air in their lungs so that they can say one more ridiculing thing against Christ. Mark tells us that those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves. And the scribes said, He saved others. Himself he cannot say. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, and we will believe in, 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 that we may see and believe. And then it says this, Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Again in Mark. Even those who are being crucified with him. They're doing the same thing. They're responding in the same way. Luke tells us that one of the criminals who was hanging blasting him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Luke refers to the detail of one of one of these men. Now Matthew and Mark say both of them are doing this. Both of them are saying these things. And then Luke gives us a detail of what one of them said. If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. If you're the Christ, help us out here. Save yourself and get us down from this cross. Now, he's not saying it as a prayer or a plea for help. He's just mocking him. He's ridiculing him. He's going to his death with such a putrid hatred of the Savior that he's just going to continue to say these things over and over and over again. What would have got these guys to the cross? Sin. Just horrible sin. Stealing from people. Hurting people. Doing things in which, without a doubt, the family is just ashamed of these two people. People that society was so fearful of that they say, we must put them to death. Scourging is not enough. Imprisonment is not enough. They must be put to death. They are so horrific that they must be put to death. And then the hardness of heart is still there to where hanging on a cross, going to their death, Moments or hours away from their death, they are still ridiculing the God of the universe, still in a place of just wickedness and meanness and harshness. Here it is that there's one that's in between them who is is being mocked and being tortured, and they've watched all of these things take place. They've seen that he has not said a word. They've heard of the things that he's done. Everybody in the land had known of what Jesus had done. They had known of miracles that took place. They had known of teachings in which he would have said. And they're there still mocking him and ridiculing him. You you, you think of of sin, and you think of the hardness of heart, and you think of the wickedness that is within man. I mean, you're, you're talking about, you're at your death. You're being crucified. There are three people there on crosses. And there's not even compassion for one of them. They know the pain of having stakes driven through your hands. They know the pain of having stake, a stake driven through their feet. They know of what's taking place. They know of what's occurring. They see the people before them. And even at that point, there's, there's no compassion for Christ In the middle. But then something happened. The sweetness of the Holy Spirit came upon one of these men. The sweetness of the Holy Spirit came upon one of these robbers, one of these thieves, one of these people who was just hated by all. And he's seen all these things. He's the one that's participating in all that is occurring. And his heart is changed. He goes from ridiculing Jesus to saying to this this other man that's there, On the far cross, rebuking him, saying, Do you not even fear God? What brings a man to that point of having an incredibly hard heart and ridiculing to how do you not fear God? How do you not fear Him? There is the softening of this man's heart, the changing of this man's heart, the Holy Spirit coming upon this particular man to where everything's changed. And I don't know what it is that occurred exactly. It may be that mom had just brought him up in the word and he knew the word and he had memorized the word as so many Jewish young boys would have done. Maybe he's there and there's verses that are coming into his mind as far as Isaiah 53, therefore I will divide him a portion with the great and I shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And thinking of that verse, he was numbered with the transgressors. That verse that came in isaiah 53 that's saying he 's got, he's got two criminals, one on each side he 's numbered with the transgressors. This man is the fulfillment of that. he is the transgressor. This whole passage of these two thieves that are there is the fulfillment of isaiah 53 verse twelve. maybe he 's thinking of psalm twenty two Verse 7, all those who see me ridicule me, they shoot out the lip, they shake their head saying, he trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him, let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Psalm 22, verses 7 and 8. I mean, just clearly portraying what's taking place as they're ridiculing him. Psalm 22 also says in verse 14, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a and My tongue clings to my jaws. You've brought me to the dust of the earth for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. Psalm 22. I mean, details that are given where possibly, possibly the Holy Spirit used the words that this man was brought up on, words that his grandma had taught him, that his grandpa had taught him, that his mom or his dad had taught him. Maybe it is that he's seen these things and is just coming to life and the Holy Spirit's bringing these things to remembrance and that's what saves him. Maybe it was looking into the face of Jesus and seeing the things that he had done, the way that he responded to these people, all that that he had done since... He had been arrested and they were watching these things occur. I don't know. I don't know that it matters. What I do know is that the Holy Spirit saved him. That The Holy Spirit revealed himself to him. That the Holy Spirit softened his heart and caused light to shine out of darkness. And, and to radically draw him unto himself. Somehow or another, God saved him. God revealed himself to him, a radical work of the Holy Spirit. Every one of us has a story, if we're believers here this morning, as far as how it is that God worked in your life to bring you to salvation. My little boy, Jonathan, eight years old, wrestles for a coach named Mark Munoz. And I was listening to Coach Mark's story. He talks about how he grew up in Vallejo, California, not to a wealthy family, but he had wanted some shoes as a 13 year old. Jordans. Some of you guys remember Air Jordans. The coolest thing around. I never had them. Some of you did. Some of you probably still have them. Shoes that he wanted so badly, and his parents saved up and they bought him these shoes. And he was so proud of them. Like super excited about these shoes. Wore them to school. And these kids, one of the kids in his class says, Hey, give me your Jordans. I'm going to give you my Jordans. I'm going to give you my shoes. So he's walking home from school down a little path, fence on each side. And he hears footsteps coming after him. Several guys chasing him. They take him down to the ground, and they start beating on him. Beating him just to a pulp, and they steal his shoes. He goes home. He doesn't go to school for several days. Just devastated, weeping. Goes to school, finally, because his dad makes him. And one of his buddies like, where's your shoes? Where's your Jordans? Why aren't you wearing your Jordans? He just keeps his head down quiet. Finally, after the guy asking over and over, he's like, Someone stole them. That young man said to him, You need to learn how to wrestle. He said, I'm not wrestling. I'm not going to wear that outfit. I'm not going to wrestle. The guy said, If I take you down in two seconds, will you wrestle? Mark's huge. This little kid was small. Kid took him down in two seconds, and Mark said, okay, I'll sign up. He signs up for wrestling, goes out for it, and just gets pummeled the first day and decides, like, I'm not going back there. It reminded him of being beaten. His dad, the next day, says, you going to wrestling? He says, no, I'm not going again. His dad's getting in the car, takes him down. Coach, Munoz is here. He's here to wrestle. The guy goes on. At that particular point, through that event, God saves him, brings him to salvation. Goes on, wins state championship over and over again in high school. Wins national championship for high school. Goes to Oklahoma State, wins the national title. Phenomenal fighter. Goes from there into the UFC and top UFC fighter in the world. He goes back to his high school for like a reunion. Everybody in Vallejo knows him because who else from there has been a national title winner, UFC fighter? He goes to the homecoming game, and who's in line getting food? The guy that stole his Jordans. And he goes there, and he's, the guy sees him coming and takes his baby and hands it to his wife and puts his hands down like, okay, we're going we're gonna to fight. Like, we're gonna, he, puts his, he puts his hands up like he's going to fight Mark Munoz. Mark goes to him and just gives him a big hug and just says, man, don't, if it wasn't for you, like, I wouldn't have gotten saved. I wouldn't have become a national champion or a UFC fighter. I never would have done anything like that if it wasn't for you. And they both just wept together. You think of how God saves people through someone stealing his shoes. You think of, I don't, I don't know if the guy got saved that stole his shoes. I mean, I'm sure his prayer life increased as, the guy was, as Mark was coming towards him, you know, but you, <laughs> to think God saves us. He takes this man who's a thief on the cross and he he radically saves him. It wasn't that this guy's just seeking, he's trying to find God, he's doing everything he can, looking in every corner for, for God. not all he 's he's just ridiculing God he's, he's, just, he's harsh towards God, but God saves him in the final hour of this man's life, God saves him usually when we talk about When we talk about this thief, typically we will be in awe that God saved him in the last moments of his life. We'll say things like, think of the thief on the cross. I mean, he, he didn't have anything to offer God. He didn't have anything. He, he couldn't get down and get baptized. He couldn't go to church. He couldn't go and radically change his life. He's, just, he's, he's there, and, and he's upon the cross, and he's dying as well. But you find here in this particular text... The guy responds by saying, do you not even fear God, seeing that you're under the same condemnation? And we, indeed, justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today it will happen. Today you're going to be with me in paradise. Charles Spurgeon said, and with reference to this, the work of grace which enabled him to die in peace would, if it had been the Lord's will, had enabled him to live in holiness. The same work of grace that enabled him to die in peace is the same work that would have enabled him to live in holiness, I don't think that the biggest deal of this is that he got saved in his final hour. I think the biggest deal of this is that he got saved. The biggest deal of this is that the Holy Spirit did something radical in his life, drawing him unto himself. That there was nothing that that man wanted on that cross more than Jesus. His sin was exposed. Listen to what he says. He says, Do you not even fear God, seeing we are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. We deserve this. He's there upon the cross recognizing, like, I am a sinner, and you are a sinner. He's not there feeling like he's self-righteous. He's not there going, none of us deserve this. He's just there saying, we deserve this. What we did deserves to go to the cross. He does not deserve this. He's recognizing his own sin. He's brought to a place of seeing his sin. And I don't think you could be saved without that. You must recognize your sin. The Word of God must act as a mirror to where you look into the Word of God and you see that you're a sinner. You see that you're in desperate need of a Savior. Vital to the gospel message that we proclaim God's holiness. And that man has fallen short of that. And man is a sinner. He sees this. But this man has done nothing wrong. He recognizes Christ's holiness. He even goes from there to say, Jesus, he says to Jesus, Lord, Addresses him as Lord. He recognizes his deity. He recognizes that he is the Lord. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Absolute humility that's there. Will you remember me? Will you just remember me? He's not saying, Can you make it so this stops hurting so badly? He doesn't say, Can you, can you make it so that... I get like a really cool place when I die here in your kingdom. Can you put me at your your right hand? Can I sit with you? And he just says, "Would would you remember me? Would you remember me? Then he goes from there to say, when you come into your kingdom, recognizing that he is the king, recognizing his deity once again. When you come into your kingdom, he's not saying we're all going to just cease to exist. He's saying when you go into your kingdom, will you remember me? And Jesus finds the strength to say to him, assuredly or truly, truly, or this is something that you can be absolutely certain of, I say to you, Today, you will be with me in paradise. You will be with me in paradise. And God saves him. Spurgeon goes on, he says, we may well admire divine grace when it so speedily makes a man fit for the bliss of heaven, but it is equally to be adored when it makes him ready to battle for the battle of earth. Then he says, Dear friend, whether you die as soon as you are born again or remain on earth for many years is comparatively a small matter. It will not materially alter your indebtedness to divine grace. Whether you die moments from the time that you get saved or whether you live a century. One is not more indebted to divine grace than the other. The grace of God to save that thief. Put yourself, put yourself in his place. Recognize that that is you as well. You're the thief. I'm the thief. There's two thieves that are there. One in whom places his faith In Christ, and the other who seems to not to the very end. Two people both ridiculing Jesus in their lives. They're on the cross, continuing till the very end, ridiculing him. And one comes to salvation, and everything changes for him. Everything changes for him. He's saved, and he's Call in Christ, Lord. He's saved, and he's being a witness for Christ. Don't you even fear God. His view of God becomes radically different. One saved, and he realizes that he's a sinner in desperate need of grace. One saved, and he calls upon God as far as just remember me when you come into your kingdom. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what happens? He is saved. Today, assuredly, today you will be with me. In paradise. Love the gospel. Don't you love the gospel? You think of of us. Going about our lives, whatever your testimony is. And the sweetness of the Holy Spirit, using the word of God, using people in your lives, using sermons, using crusades, using a friend, using Whatever it is to bring you to a knowledge of God. Radical. Bringing you to salvation. I think of the Holy Spirit and the work that's taken place where Jesus says to Nicodemus, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And one of these men died in his flesh. One of these men, in the final moments of his life, died in the Spirit, born again, radically transformed. John tells us the Spirit gives life, the flesh profits nothing. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, And you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And once you... in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. You once were sons of disobedience. You once conducted yourselves in the lust of the flesh. You were fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind. You were, by nature, children of wrath, just as the others. But God, but God, he was rich in mercy. But God, because of his great love with which he loved us, but God did this. But God radically transformed this thief. I know there's those that are here that have loved ones and whom are yet to know Christ. And when you think of these people, when you think of that person, there comes times where you feel as if they're as far away from the gospel as ever. You feel as if by the things that they say, they're never going to come to know Christ. Never. You could get to a place of being so discouraged that you just don't even want to proclaim the gospel to them anymore. May this passage be an encouragement to you. I mean, if anybody's lost and if anybody's at a place where they're just done, it's the thief that's there next to Christ on the cross that is continuing to ridicule him in his final minutes. And yet, he is saved. And yet, his heart is changed. And yet, he is with Christ in paradise that very day. Oh, to be those that pray for those who are still lost, continuing to proclaim the gospel to them knowing that today may be the day of salvation for them. You may be here this morning, and you came in thinking, I'm the last one ever that's going to get saved. And maybe it was. as I was reading through verses and going through, and you know about the crucifixion. You know of what took place. And, 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 and I'm reading through and going and saying things like, they pierced his hands and his feet his bones were out of joint his mouth was dry the dogs have surrounded me the congregation of the wicked has enclosed me they look they stare at me I can count all my bones Details that are given of, of all of it. He's he's there and numbered with transgressors. And you're thinking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ went to the cross, that was written. And the Holy Spirit works in your life to say, how is it that Isaiah 53 could be written? How is it that Psalm 22 could be written? And then this is just scratching the surface of hundreds of verses that give incredible details in the life of Christ. And the Holy Spirit uses that to so where you who came in saying, I'll never believe. Today's the day of salvation for you. You sit there saying, how else can I explain it? Your countenance changes. Your heart changes. You go from ridiculing him to saying, don't you fear God? Remember me, Lord. And and the sweetness of knowing that Jesus would reply in the same way, today you will be with me in paradise. You maybe came in here this morning just thinking, like, I'm too bad of a guy to ever be accepted by Jesus. If he knew my sins, he... I'm a girl who, if anybody knew my past, they would know like it's way too far gone for God to ever save me. And then you look at the thief on the cross, ridiculing Jesus as he's hanging there next to him. And what does God do? God saves him. He saves him. Notice, too, if there's ever a question as far as whether you're saved by faith alone or whether you're saved by faith plus works. Jesus does not respond to him and say, like, we have a huge problem here. I would love to do something, but how do we get you baptized? Baptized. I would love to do something, but you do not have time to really engage in the church and do all the things that you ought to do. No, it's, it's by faith alone, immediately at that moment, that that man is saved. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, obviously, we love baptism. It is absolutely mandatory that you are baptized for the purpose of obedience. Not for the purpose of salvation, for the purpose of obedience. And be of good cheer. We have one coming up at the end of the month. Going to church is of utmost importance. Do not forsake the gathering together of the body. As such is the manner of some stir up the gifts that are within you for the edification of the body. Use your gifts for the purpose of the body. We are to pray. We are to be a witness. We are to proclaim the gospel. We are to go to the uttermost parts of the world proclaiming the gospel and here as well. But it is not that which saves us. This man was saved. Remember me, Lord. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Today, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. May our knowledge of this be that which the Holy Spirit uses to bring great thanksgiving to us as those who are saved. We are the thief. I am. You are. We deserved that. And he did it, yet he became sin for us. Amen? And may this be a great encouragement to us that we serve a God who saves. Sweetness of the Holy Spirit drawing us unto salvation. May we not cease to give up hope in the God who saves. Let's pray, and then we'll partake in communion together. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're thankful. We're so thankful for the gospel. We're thankful for the example of these two thieves that are there with you on the cross. What a radical thing you did in the heart of that man. Changing him. Bringing him to a place of where he just wants to, to be a witness Bringing him to a place of seeing his own sin, and then bringing him to a place of calling out to you, Lord, for salvation, and the assurance in which you brought him immediately. The same is for us. You call upon us. You cause our eyes to be opened. You cause our hearts to be changed. You bring us to a place of believing in you through your word that is proclaimed as those bring us the gospel. or As we hear your word taught, Lord, you bring us unto salvation as the gospel is heard. And you make it in in such a way that there is just assurance for us that we will be with you in paradise. May we love grace. Just as that man hung on the cross and loved grace, may we love the grace in which saves us and sustains us to the very end. May we love grace. And may that be that which pours out in our heart as we worship you now in partaking of communion. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.